Hello everybody once again and welcome to yet another very exciting edition of ESPN's Formula One podcast. I'm Alexis Tunis, still here with my ride or dies, Nate Saunders and Lawrence Edmondson. What a weekend it has been, especially because all the action is close to home for us, even though there's only one of us that's a very, very lucky nugget, and that's Lawrence Edmondson that actually got to make the trip to Silverstone legally. I mean, other people tried and got arrested. We'll get to that story later on. But Nate and I still felt all the excitement. I mean, we thought that it would be last lap Lando that would be getting us to talk, but it still was about the last lap. And Nate, I just want to say that before we have to tell everybody that the night before this Sunday, you did message me and you said, oh man, if it's just gonna be yet another predictable one and two for Mercedes, you're going to rant. So I was coming prepared for a rant, thought we would just be talking about the midfield battle, but oh my goodness, wheels came off, everything went mental, people crashed. Did you get the excitement to sort of quell that rant that you were so ready to do up until that last lap? Well, I mean, the Mercedes is so quick, it can win with three wheels. That's one way you can look at it. No, no, I'm only, I'm only, I'm only kidding. Um, well, one was. Yeah, one of them was. I mean, yeah, it was, it, it was looking, it was in, for 50 laps, it was, a very, very kind of routine, predictable kind of race, the sort of race we thought we were going to have two Mercedes out in front. It was quite interesting because Bottas really was keeping the pressure on Lewis the whole race, which is pretty cool to see because we've been saying about how he needs to do that. And then it just, you know, it just exploded into life, those final three laps. And um, yeah, like the, you know, the, that final lap, I was, I, I was trying to keep an eye on where Max might be. You know, obviously if he'd had another, he didn't have another lap, but if he'd had a few more corners, he probably would have got him. Um, so yeah, unbelievable finish at the end and kind of crazy in the context of the season that the bad, the worst bit of luck happened to Bottas, not to Lewis, because that's kind of, that kind of took the sting out of it a little bit as well. It felt like Germany last year when we had all those issues and Hamilton still left with a better championship um, uh, lead than he had coming into it. And this one, it's, you know, he's gone up to 30 points ahead of Bottas, which, you know, is a lot. So it was exciting for a small amount, but it's also, you know, it's kind of compounded <laughs> The, the season a little bit and the frustration of the season but uh, but yeah I mean let's start there and, we'll, and we're gonna we're gonna hear from Lawrence later he and I've been kind of dovetailing between the media sessions so we've got kind of different view like you know have, have talked to different teams uh, Christian Horn I spoke to earlier uh, Lawrence has been speaking to the Mercedes guys and some really interesting insight into how that race kind of unfolded at the end there. All right, well, I mean, it's like they say, what's that thing about, even though I've only been living here in England for a year, but it's like London buses, you know, you wait, you wait, you wait, and then two come, but this time you wait, you wait, you wait, 49, 50 laps or something exciting to happen, and then 10 things and wheels go flying and everything, pit stops happen, and everything happened at once, but I definitely enjoyed it. I guess let's start off then with number one, Lewis Hamilton, yet another British Grand Prix win for the homeboy, of course, you know, we know that Lando Norris, as well as Alex Albon, you know, and George Russell are also from here, but it's definitely sweet to Lewis. Um, interesting that he spoke after the race and he said, we may not understand it, but it is the most horrible feeling, he said, or one of the most horrible feelings, hearing someone counting down to somebody else that's hot on your tail, and especially when that person is Max Verstappen, and just hearing that he's catching up to him and the seconds, you know, that of course he was dicing. So any credit, of course, you know, to Lewis, even though I know it's yet another Lewis Hamilton win, but credit to him for how he finished or at least handled that situation when his tire went as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't think any of us will really appreciate how difficult those cars are to drive 
in normal circumstances. So when they've got three wheels that are working, it must be even worse. There was, there was a second, you know, a split second when he came through the final chicane that it looked like his car was just going to go straight on and, you know, the wheel was literally hanging on. It wasn't the case, but, you know, it really looked like he was, he was getting close to the limit there. So unbelievable finish. And, yeah, I, I think, you know, we spoke just after the race. We did a video just after the race. I said it must have sounded like the Thunderbirds countdown in his head, you know, when you've got, like, five four, three. Verstappen never got that close. He finished five seconds behind. But considering he started that lap 32 seconds behind, it shows you just how slow that Mercedes was going. It was literally crawling around for half of the circuit. So, um, yeah, I can't imagine what that's like. And usually the drivers are telling their race engineers, you know, don't tell me this stuff, you know, when they're driving full speed. So for Lewis, his car, you know, as he's, as, as he's kind of crawling around, hearing that Max is getting closer and closer, that must have been it must have been pretty tense, but Mac, uh, but Lewis claimed that he was pretty calm in the car. You know, he said mm. he was pretty chilled the whole time. You know, he said he knew he was going to kind of get there. He was just like, look, let's just get this car back to the finish. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'd love to hear the radio messages that were going around at the end. I think that's going to make some fascinating viewing if they release it. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a cooler head than I have. That's what I'll say. That's very true indeed. I think that's definitely something that's come with age for Lewis Hamilton because a couple of years back, we probably wouldn't say he's the coolest said. I don't even think he would say he's the coolest said, but I mean, perhaps to him again, I mean, Lewis Hamilton just being Lewis Hamilton, standard day for him, even when tires go flying. But let's definitely talk about Valtteri Bottas because my heart absolutely aches for him. And you saw his chat after the race. And, you know, he was almost like, well, what more can I say? It really is one of those things that, I mean when luck is not for you at that day or at that moment or a second or a nanosecond, because we knew that, you know, he could have had it been a little sooner. He probably could have, you know, benefited from a pit stop, but no, he had to crawl all the way back around with his wheel literally gone. So, I mean, massive heart goes out to Valtteri for this one. It was just plain unlucky, right? Yeah. So gutting. And, you know, we, we've all been speaking about that Bottas had to improve on his final two, last two races to take the fight to Lewis. You know, we said his last two performances weren't really up there. And as I mentioned, he really kept Lewis honest in this race. And this, this race got away from him through no fault of his own. It was just, you know, a tire failure. It happened to Lewis as well. It happened to a few other drivers. And it's almost a bit like that, that Thanos meme that went around where it says, you know, what did it cost you? And it's like everything, you know, because that... <laughs> Everything, because, you know, if, if, if Bottas had been out of pit, and even if he just dropped behind Max, that still would have been pretty bad. But he, at least, he'd still be in kind of striking distance of Lewis. But by the time he pitted, by the time they got that tyre off, by the time they replaced it, got him out there, I think he was 13th, he finished 12th. And, yeah, he's now 30 points behind Lewis, which is one whole race victory and some change. You know, that's 25 points you get for a win, and that's assuming Lewis doesn't finish a race. So it's a huge blow for him, and... It's not often Lewis gives you the chance to take 30 points out of him, you know, over a couple of races. So, yeah, I think that, to me, felt like the moment the championship might have got away. Who knows? You know, next weekend there might be a complete reversal. I'm starting to think that this season's going to be pretty unpredictable throughout because these races we keep getting kind of keep throwing up different curveballs. But, yeah, um, the, what the season needed was for that to have happened in literally the complete reverse way. You know, Lewis having that issue, dropping out of the points, and Bottas kind of crawling home to victory. Uh, because that would have made the, the, the next couple of races fascinating because Lewis would have been chasing and trying to make up that gap. Um, so, yeah, gutting for Bottas and really a day when he deserved to, at the very least, be on the podium. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, um, I, I know, of course, when these things happen, there's always a lot of if, buts and maybes. And I've seen some talk probably questioning if maybe would there was anything that Valtteri, you know, could have done 
earlier on in the race, maybe take on Lewis a bit more, be a little more aggressive, a bit more that would have helped, even though we do accept that, you know, again, when it's just not your day, it's not your day. And especially, you know, like you said, Lewis Hamilton is not going to give you even a, a sliver to catch up with him. But is there anything you think he could have done in hindsight that may have not made this result as devastating as to see him finish outside the points? I'm not too sure that he could have done, to be honest with you. And um, I'll defer mainly to when you speak to Lawrence later, because he will have sp spoken to everyone at Mercedes and, you know, have, have heard kind of the view from that team. But really, the only thing that could have happened there is, you know, Bottas, if Bottas had had the, had the puncture later in the lap, he could have got to the pits earlier. Um, and that none of that comes down to him. You know, that's just where the tyre went. So, yeah, really, that must be so frustrating for a driver when everything that happens to you is completely out of your control. And um, Silverstone's a pretty hard circuit to overtake at in a lot of places. And I think to, to have attacked Lewis in the race, Max was still a factor in that race. You know, Max mm. was still somebody who, if, if there'd been an issue, was kind of, it wasn't a, a pit stop. There wasn't a pit stop they could take and come out ahead of Max. So he was always there a factor, just enough to, I think, keep them honest there at the front. So, yeah, really devastating for, for Valtteri's whole season, really. Absolutely. And like you said, it's probably looking like we'd be able to, as unpredictable as the season has been and continues to be, it is looking hard, you know, to, to expect anyone to give Lewis a run for his money. So we might just have to be looking for the battle of the midfield or we'll have to be expecting a lot more rats from Nate. Who knows? We'll probably get there. One thing we didn't get this week, though, is a rat from Max Verstappen. And I think, again, in terms of looking at if buts and maybes, that's exactly what everybody was wondering. If Max Verstappen did not take that pit stop, could he have, you know, won this? A lot of people saying this was Max Verstappen's race to win now that we take into consideration everything that happened. But he said, look, he's actually quite happy with finishing second on this one. And who's to say that his tires may not have suffered had he not taken that pit stop then? So, Nate, how do you see it? Yeah, so I think that, that second point is really key. Um, speaking to Horner afterwards, to Christian Horner, team boss at Red Bull, obviously, um, he very much was like, look, we would have been making, taking such a huge risk if we'd stayed out there. So to quote him, he said there were 50 cuts on the tyre from, they believe, from debris. There was a lot of debris scattered around the circuit from different incidents. Um, he said they were right on the limit as well. So the, the, the decision there for Red Bull really was simple. Is, you know, we could really risk this. And again, there was no guarantee Lewis was going to have that issue at that time. You know, mm. maybe people would have thought he could have done. But I suppose every, every car, it seemed, was on, was, was on the limit or close to the limit because a lot of the guys further back, we obviously had Carlos Sainz had an issue right after Bottas did. Um, so I think making that decision, would have, it would have been all or nothing. And I suppose you can argue that given the position they're in, they could have taken that risk, but also... Verstappen didn't finish at the Austrian Grand Prix, so they've already they've already lost a very good haul of points this season. So I think they made the right call, and, and Christian seemed really at ease with that call. He said, you know, we, we finished second, we could have finished first, but he said we could have also finished out of the points like Bottas did. So I think when you start looking at, at it like that, it makes a lot more sense why they did that. And given what he said about the tyres, um, yeah, you know, I don't think it's something you want to risk, really. So um, it, 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 it sounded like when, when Verstappen crossed the line, he was gutted. You know, he, we, we yeah. heard, there, was, there was a censored message. But often, I think when he got out of the car, he kind of said afterwards, he said, look, you know, probably made the right call. Um, but it would have been, I mean, it would have been crazy had he stayed out and both of those cars had had, had that issue. We might have had a situation, I mean, Leclerc was a long way back, but, you know, it, we would have been talking about, hey, you know, Leclerc could have won that, that race because he was the guy who finished third. So, yeah, really, really mad and hard to keep up with what was happening at the end. I was like, where, where am I meant to be looking? What's going on? Like, you know, who has, has everyone got a puncture? Is everyone, is everyone just driving around the track with three wheels? Um, so, yeah, it was, it was pretty mad. But um, I, think, I think Red Bull made the right call. And uh, 
it's very easy to to you know be a genius when you're sat watching it on TV. But I don't think it would have been a sense. It just seems like too much risk. Um, but but yeah, that, that 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 would be my analysis of that situation. Okay, so obviously we've taken care of Lewis and Max there. Next on the podium, though, before we get into the massive midfield battle and because we can finally talk kind of at length about some Danny Rick because, ooh, a nice fourth place finish. But in third, Charles Leclerc, another podium for him. You know, I can't help but feel like Ferrari, at least with Charles, are kind of still punching above their weight here, given the, you know, the heavy criticisms that we have been, and even the fact that they've come out and said, look, don't really watch us too close for anything big until another year or two. So what did you think of um, Charles's race? Yeah, I think the, the key is to compare it to Sebastian Vettel's race. And Vettel had such a bad weekend. I mean, even from practice, he was all over the place. It was like he'd never driven a car before at some points, you know, or at least driven that car before, it's probably fairer to say. Um, but yeah, I think um, he's 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 done that twice now, where he's put the car in a good position to to capitalise. You know, in Austria, he got the podium when Lewis had the clash with Albon. Um, so obviously, I think we know that Ferrari isn't good enough to be getting those podiums on merit. But it's it's very encouraging for them that when they do present themselves, that he's snatching them. So um, and and you know, Leclerc, he had a couple of races, you know, in between now and Austria, where maybe you know he had the crash with Vettel as well. So for him, I think it's it's just a good thing. Um, but yeah, he, he, was quite, he had quite a quiet race. We didn't really see much of Leclerc. One of those races where he did very well, but we didn't actually see much of him. And then suddenly he's just there on the podium. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, of course. Of course, Leclerc was there the whole time, you know, just kind of driving around in fourth position. So um, yeah, it was good to see Ferrari back up there because, you know, it gets tight. People might think we like bashing Ferrari, but I don't actually like it, you know. So it's nice to see them actually on the podium. Uh, so yeah, uh, good, good job from him. But um, big question marks about Vettel, I think. Uh, which maybe we can talk about next week in more detail because he had a really bad weekend. Well, on a day of, of course, crazy things that went on. Um, one thing that, I mean, we're just speaking about bashing Sir Ferrari, but probably not expecting that much from Ferrari. And I know it's been a while since we expected a bit from Renault, but a fourth position finish for Danny Ricardo, and of course, Ockham finishing in sixth. Pretty, pretty good day for them, Nate. Yeah, it was. And again, a bit like what I was saying with Leclerc, like, you know, Renault were kind of there in the race. And then with what happened with science, suddenly at the end of the race, I, I was looking down the screen. I was like, what? I was like, How did Ricardo get fourth in that? You know, just at the end, it kind of passed me by, but really impressive result and actually matches his best result. He finished fourth in Italy last year for Renault. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not really been the most successful period of time there for him, but a fourth place for that team. I think it's kind of, it's been under the cosh a little bit. There's been a lot of criticism about Renault. So to finish fourth and sixth and, and the team they're protesting Racing Point really had a bad weekend uh, as well. And, you know, they were able to get ahead of the McLarens. Ricardo had a pretty fun fight uh, at points with uh, Norris and Science as well. You know, kind of fighting the team he's going to be driving next year. Um, but but quiet, quietly, Ricardo's actually been having quite a good season. He's, he's doing very well against Ocon in that head-to-head. And if Ocon's so highly rated, I think it's, it really bolsters Ricardo's reputation that he's doing that. Uh, not that it, not that it really need you know we already thought a lot about him but yeah. it's easy to forget that he's he's doing what he's doing so yeah really great to see him in fourth position and and uh, imagine if something had happened to Lewis and Lewis couldn't finish the race he'd have been on the podium so it, show, it shows you if you put your car in that position that you know those those results are there if things happen ahead. So like I said, of course, we'll take a Danny Ricardo podium finish all day, every day. We'd also take a Lando Norris podium finish all day, every day. Not quite a podium finish for Lando, but still a pretty good day for him, of course. We definitely enjoyed that little Norris signs kind of battle along with Danny Ricardo. Um, 
Nate, what did you what did you think of McLaren's day? Of course, it was two separate. You know, Carlos Sainz not finishing quite as as well as Lando Norris in this one, but you know, just thoughts on on, on both of them today. Yeah, I was gutted for Sainz. You talk about being gutted for Bottas. Um, it was similar for Sainz. You know, he really needed a big result like that. We've been we've been talking we've been hyping Lando like crazy on this show, and Sainz has kind of since he joined Ferrari. You know, he's not really had that huge result to kind of sing about in the same way. Um, and it would have been, I think, it was well deserved. I think. Norris was was kind of in a weird position because he was kind of stuck behind Sainz for a lot of that race, which backed him into Ricardo, and that helped Ricardo get by him late on. So, good result for McLaren, but they'll be one. They'll be in a similar situation to Mercedes, thinking, you know, man, if if we just got both cars to the finish, it would have been such a strong result. So, I think it's pretty bittersweet for them. Um, but but still, it's impressive that McLaren are doing so well consistently. They're qualifying mm-hmm. well, running well in races. I don't think at this point we have any reason to suspect that's going to change dramatically in the season. They look you know, like a really strong, solid team for the midfield. Tanner Ricardo must be absolutely licking his chops to get into that car or even a fancier version of it come next season indeed. But anyways, as if 2020 couldn't get any crazier, this week we got the news that Sergio Perez tested positive for coronavirus. Absolutely awful news um, for him and Racing Point. And then Racing Point, of course, I have we've been hyping them up a lot. Everyone calling them the pink Mercedes. And then... <laughs> Out of left field comes the fact that Nico Hulkenberg came back for Racing Point and was absolutely in a brilliant car that the memes, Nate, you and I have been sending each other memes about Nico Hulkenberg (laughs) and people going, what do we want this weekend? A Nico Hulkenberg (laughs) podium finish. And there was no reason for us to believe that he wouldn't get it. And then came this morning and the car wouldn't start and it is absolutely gutting that he did not even start the race after everything this week yeah i tweeted like it's so on brand for holkenberg if you think about his career <laughs> you know and i i don't mean that to be me- to be mean to the guy but you look at the guy's career and just so many times when he had opportunities you know he was starting 12th here and i think the racing point clearly didn't have the pace we thought it might have coming into the weekend but still, the, just the fact that he didn't make the start of the race is just like, it's just another chapter to that kind of crazy career story he has. Um, it, was, it was gutting to see. You never like to see a guy not start a race, and especially for him. felt like a good opportunity for him to kind of put himself back on, in, you know, back in people's minds and back in the driving market. There's still a few seats available for next season. So, yeah, that's a shame. We don't know whether he'll be racing next week. This is an interesting thing to, to keep an eye on over the next couple of days because it's not confirmed how long Perez will have to quarantine for. So he might get a second opportunity to race next weekend. And the fact it's at the same circuit might, you know, might put him in good stead for a better result. But yeah, gutting. And, you know, at least I, I, if I was a driver, but like, at least get me to the grid, you know, at least, at least get my, at least get me, at least let me start the race, but to not even get out of the garage after, you know, just, just in case people haven't been on, you know, on top of this story all weekend on Thursday, Hulkenberg was driving to the Nürburgring where he was going to be a commentator on a sports car race. He got a call from Otmar Satfnauer, who's racing points uh, F1 boss. And he was like, hey, how do you fancy driving for us this weekend? He obviously, I think, probably did the quickest U-turn in the road that's ever been done and came back to the UK. So, yeah, for, you know, given how the week had gone, for it to, for it to all result in a DNS, a do not start, um, yeah, just really deflating for him. So I actually, I know everyone on this podcast seems to think I dislike Hulkenberg, but I'd like to see him get another chance. It's a nice story, you know, a nice human story to it. I don't think he'll get a podium unless another crazy race happened, but it'd be nice to see him actually have the chance to kind of you know, almost kind of, I guess, wave his flag a bit and say, look, here's what I can do and don't forget about me. Uh, you not like Nico Hulkenberg? Wherever would we get such an idea? <laughs> I mean, it might, have come, 
I don't it think I said come that out of your specifically. <laughs> I just no. said, I, I just, I just said, I just said the two of us have had heated words before. You know, that's that's yeah, all. fair and, enough uh, for that one. Yeah, but it yeah. is absolutely, I mean, gutted for him because just to think what he even said, he put his body through just so quickly to get that. I think he had orange tape on his neck from <laughs> from qualifying and practice, and then only like you said to just at least get me on the grid. Let me get that feeling again that I could do something, and then the car can't start. But not even to get out of the garage is absolutely gutting for him. Well, when one door closes, another one opens, and we've got a fabulous door opening right now. We finally have Lawrence Edmondson. If you've been wondering where he has been, well, it's not because Nathan and I have been trying to drown out his voice, because we do love his voice, but he has been at Silverstone all day, working like a very hard bunny, and now he's finally made some time for us, Lawrence. So we'll just bring you in, and of course, I have to just ask you to, how do you even put into words all the madness, the tire-bursting madness that we saw today? Yeah, I don't quite know how to put that into words. It was, um, it was certainly a good last couple of laps, wasn't it? Um, prior to that, it got a bit dull, but it's been a very weird experience for me the whole weekend being here. Um, I've been to this track many times from when I was a kid and I used to, uh, you know, I don't live too, but my parents don't live too far away. So I used to come to this track and then seeing it like this with no fans is, is a very strange experience. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a bit of a privilege to be here as well. So um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's something new and it's, uh, it's something that F1 has quite quickly, it seems, got, got used to as well. And then of course, I mean, we just have to, we spoke with Nate about it. Um, again, on paper, it probably looks like, oh, of course, shock. Yes, another British Grand Prix going Lewis Hamilton's way. But we really saw how easily that could have changed, you know. And I mean, massive credit to him for the way he handled it. And I mean, what was it like for you just, just witnessing all of that happen in that last lap? Yeah, it was, it was, it was great, wasn't it? it um, because we've seen Mercedes so dominant all weekend and it looked like a locked on one-two victory. Um, and then all of a sudden everything started falling apart. And it's interesting as well because probably the reason why Mercedes struggled so much uh, was partly because that car is putting more load through those tyres, putting more extreme forces on the rubber than any other car. And, uh, and we've seen that a number of times when tyres have failed in the past. It's often the fastest cars that get hit by it because um, they're the ones putting the tyres to the absolute limit. So, that, uh, that's exactly what Lewis was doing. And that was partly because he was having that battle with Valtteri Bottas. It never really kicked off in the way we would have liked, but, um, but they were going wheel, well, not quite wheel to wheel, but they were trading fastest lap times. And in doing that, uh, they, uh, they kind of took a lot of energy uh, out of those tires, took a lot of the rubber off those tires. And we don't know exactly what happened to them yet. Pirelli is still investigating, but uh, it seems as though uh, the lack of rubber on the tire uh, then made it susceptible to a puncture and obviously we saw them both, uh, well, kind of deflate at least within the space of a couple of laps. But um, yeah, a really stressful one for the Mercedes pit wall as well. And um, we're talking to Toto Wolff and uh, kind of hearing a little bit of what was going on and the decisions that were being made. And it was certainly a pretty frantic couple of laps as they tried to decide what to do. And of course, I know that you've definitely um, been to the Mercedes press conferences after. Before we get into specifics of what um, was said there, where do you stand on the Max Verstappen, I suppose, debate on this one? Some, again, saying, like I said, that, you know, how, how would he have known that, you know, if he just carried on out there and didn't take the pit stop, that, you know, his tires probably wouldn't have gone to or that he could have caught Lewis. You can't predict the future. But, you know, a lot of people are saying, well, this was Max Verstappen's race now that we see it in hindsight. So was there a massive chance missed there for Red Bull? 
Um, it was definitely a chance missed, uh, and, but that is something that you can only really say with hindsight. At the time, there was an extra point on offer for fastest lap. Um, Verstappen had the space behind him to, do, to make a pit stop, and uh, really, you know, there was no predicting that Hamilton would have the same issue. Uh, Bottas was the one that had been behind Hamilton all that time. That puts extra strain on the tyres. So if Bottas's tyres, you know, lasted whatever it was, 38 laps, then you would probably expect Hamilton's to go that little bit further. Not to mention the fact that Hamilton would have almost certainly backed off immediately as soon as he was told about Bottas's failure. So if you put everything together, I think Red Bull made the right decision with the information they had at the time. Of course, with the benefit of hindsight, you see it's the, it's the wrong decision. But um, I, I think given what they had on the pit wall, what was available, the expectations going into this weekend, it, it, it was a decision that um, I can completely understand why they made. And I think it's probably a decision that, you know, if we're there next, next weekend, um, you know, similar situation, uh, okay, m m maybe they'd slightly consider it differently, but I, I think, you know, there's still all the logic, all the race logic, all the kind of history that goes with it. The tyres don't usually fail on the final lap. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was an opportunity to get an extra point. They took it and I can't really blame them for that. And then just now to think of how Mercedes will be feeling um, after today, um, because usually they are the happiest bunnies <laughs> in the press conferences. Either It's either, you know, a one-two finish for them, why not? Except for at least the first weekend when we saw Lewis Hamilton finish fourth, but even then he finished well within the points. Now today, as Toto Wolff said after, it is bittersweet because amazing for Lewis to, you know, finish win another British Grand Prix, but to see Valtteri Bottas finish completely outside of the points. I mean, that must have been absolutely devastating. So um, what was the, the presser like? What were they saying or about the feelings and emotions that they probably went through? Yeah, I, I think it was uh, incredibly stressful. So there was still some coming down from it, you know, and, uh, and trying to understand exactly what happened and whether they might made the right decisions. Uh, obviously, bittersweet is, is probably the best way to put it, isn't it? It's always the case when one driver uh, fails to get the result that they should have got and another driver wins the race. But um, yeah, again, I think if, if you look at the information Mercedes had as well, you remember they didn't pit Hamilton. You know, they could have pit Hamilton when they saw Verstappen go in and they chose not to do that. So there was a lot of discussion around whether that was the right decision. But again, you know, they thought they, the way they were looking at the race was the same way that Red Bull were looking at the race when they made their decision. They felt that given the data they had on the tyres, knowing that Lewis hadn't put his tyres through the same kind of extremes that Bottas had by being behind another car, um, they felt that he would make the end. And, uh, and with one lap left, it was really a choice of, do we, pit them, do we pit him at the end of lap 51 or 52 or not? And uh, they decided not to, uh, because usually an extra 5.8 kilometers or so isn't going to um, be the difference on tyres, especially when you're starting to take it easy. But uh, yeah, Hamilton got incredibly uh, unlucky in that sense to, uh, to have that puncture. But um, again, it, ju it just shows you uh, kind of how much it was all evolving in those last few laps and uh, the kind of decisions that have to be made, made on pit wall uh, in such split seconds and then how much we can analyse them afterwards and say, oh, well, they did the wrong thing. But um, I think Mercedes consider themselves quite lucky to come away with a victory. But equally, if you look at the performance of their car through the weekend compared to everyone else's, they thoroughly deserved it. You know, they're on another level here. And then, of course, we spoke to, I spoke to Nate earlier on and he basically says now it's probably looking that maybe you know, how many more races before we can call the Drivers' Championship? Because Lewis Hamilton now 30 points um, ahead of Valtteri Bottas. This was a massive blow for Valtteri today. What are your thoughts on that too? Do you kind of just echo the same feeling? 
Well, you can look at it two ways, can't you? You can say uh, the 30 points is massive and um, Valtteri's never going to get that back in normal circumstances. Or you can say, well, this race proves that in Formula 1, you know, even a 25-point lead is, is worth it until, you know, you finish the next race. So there's, um, you know, there's a chance that things will swing back the other way. Uh, reliability issues could creep in towards the end of the year. We know that the Mercedes, um, whilst been incredibly fast, they've had to push some of the extremes with reliability on that car. One such example was uh, a fairly routine change of Lewis Hamilton's MG UK unit earlier in the weekend. Didn't really get picked up massively. Isn't a huge news story, but the reason they did that was for reliability purposes. They had some concerns about uh, the previous one that was on his car. So that kind of thing, you know, it does show you that these cars are fragile, they are on the limit. And then when you see a race like that, you realize it even more. So 30 points is huge. I would say in normal circumstances, if Valtteri and Lewis finish all the remaining races, he's not gonna uh, get back that, um, that, that, that amount of points unless he completely ups his game and goes on to another level. But again, we, we don't really see that happening. But equally, 25 points can go missing very, very quickly if you retire and your teammate wins the race. Well, I mean, like you said, in, in regular circumstances, we will definitely expect Lewis Hamilton to, to wrap this up quickly. But it's 2020 and nothing about 2020 is regular as we have known. And especially after what we saw today, knowing that we're going to be back on the same track come next weekend, knowing that the temperatures are set to soar again, um, all focus is on the tires again. And if we're going to see, you know, the same thing happen or if we will see it happen to even more people. So, Lawrence, what, I know it's still kind of early and we'll definitely talk about this midweek. But what are your early predictions about what's happening or just your feelings about what could happen? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good point, And everyone is talking about it uh, here is, you know, are we OK to go racing with these tires again? Uh, fortunately, all, all the issues we saw, the failures we saw didn't really kind of cause the car to lose control so much. I mean, uh, Kvyat had a big uh, crash earlier in, in, in the race, but I don't think that was related to the tyres. So the front left going uh, clearly is quite manageable. I mean, Lewis still won the race without a front left tyre. So, um, but obviously it's not what you want to see, but there's a number of things that you've got to remember here. Um, first of all, it's quite rare that they would do a 40 lap stint. That only happened because of the Kvyat crash brought out the safety car, encouraged everyone to pit, and then they were going to the end. In a normal race, without that safety car already on, you wouldn't be looking at making that uh, pit stop at that point. Um, another uh, very interesting point is that next weekend, Pirelli had decided, and the idea behind this was to mix things up and make it exciting and not have two races that are very similar in a row. They're actually making the tyre compounds softer uh, for next weekend. So that means that you've got tyres which will degrade even quicker. But this is where we need a, um, uh, need to point out that degradation, which is how much performance the tyre loses over a race stint, is not the same as tyre wear. And what caused the issues on the cars today was tyre wear. Wear is the physical loss of the rubber on the tyre, and uh, that is the thing that kind of makes it susceptible to punctures and failures. So there's also a theory that if you actually have tyres that degrade a lot quicker because they're a softer compound, um, there's actually a chance that, okay, um, you know, uh, that could also lead to uh, excess wear, but the reality is because you've got that degradation kicking in, you're more likely to get rid of the tyres quicker. You're more likely to do a two-stop strategy than a one-stop strategy. In fact, a one-stop strategy may not be possible next week, especially if it's hotter. And so uh, you'll actually have the degradation forcing teams to change tyres before you ever get to a wear situation like you had today. So it's very complicated and it's also 
highly dependent on what Pirelli find. Um, I remember we had in 2013 a race here where there were a huge amount of uh, tyre uh, failures and uh, some of which were incredibly dangerous as well. We had big bits of tyre flying into the face of oncoming cars and stuff like that. So um, we weren't quite at that stage today, but uh, I seem to remember back then they, they discovered there were uh, also um, uh, there was problems within the tyre itself and the construction, they changed the construction but there was also uh, bits in the curbs and stuff and if they find that it was actually debris at a certain part of the track or the nature of a curb at some part of the track then maybe that can be changed um, to kind of ease, ease those strains and, uh, and make sure we don't have the same thing. The other thing available to Pirelli as the uh, tyre supply is also to tell the teams to up the pressures. They can mandate the pressures and also the camber settings the team use which is a suspension set and how much the tyres are basically pointing inwards when viewed from the front and um, all of those can be changed to kind of protect the tyres and give them a little bit of an easier time. So we might also see Pirelli do that. So I feel within the spectrum of possibilities and the fact that we're going to those softer compounds in a way uh, we, we, we may find that it's actually okay for the tyres but there's no doubt about it Silverstone puts huge forces through the tyres and uh, no matter what compounds you're using um, no matter uh, what's going on with the curb and stuff like that, those tyres are always going to be right on the limit at Silverstone with these cars because these cars right now are so, so fast and we've not had anything like it in the past and that's the fundamental issue that Pirelli is facing is just the cars are so, so quick and they can't really um, build a tyre that, uh, that is able to cope with uh, the forces they see here. Do you know what? I feel like if there's one person that can definitely build a tyre that can cope with those forces, it's you, Lawrence. <laughs> well, I know. I mean, look, I, I, I'm just regurgitating the information that I get told. Uh, I'm certainly not an engineer, you know. The, 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 and also, you've got to give credit to Freddy for uh, producing tyres that go on, go on these cars because um, it's very easy to uh, slag off the tyre manufacturer when things go wrong, but also we don't really kind of praise them when things go right. And, you know, they create these remarkable tyres that are capable of dealing with uh, 6G, so six times the force of gravity, the force of uh, the, the weight of the car going through them one way than the next within split seconds, uh, about 180 miles per hour. You know, we don't praise Pirelli at the end of a practice session for the fact that they managed to create a tyre that does that, but as soon as something goes wrong, everyone's on the back. So, um, but you know, they, they're experienced, they've been doing uh, Formula One tyres since 2011, and so uh, I'm pretty sure they'll the kind of best place to try and find a solution uh, for next weekend, if even we need a solution, if it wasn't just a freak thing or perhaps a bit of debris out on track that was causing uh, the three punctures. Well, indeed, all eyes will be on next week. Absolutely cannot wait for it now after all the fireworks that we saw today. And speaking of some freak things that happened, <laughs> I mean, I suppose this switches things up a little bit, but I believe some people got arrested at Silverstone. Lawrence, some Extinction Rebellion protesters. But the weird story is exactly how far they actually got through before, you know, they actually were stopped. Yeah, so to give a bit of a kind of picture of what it's like here, um, prior to the race weekend, both Silverstone and the local police force have been kind of encouraging the general public not to get close, because obviously the temptation, if you haven't seen a Formula One car for a year and you're a huge fan and you're missing the sport and it's come back and it's just down your road, the temptation is to try and find a field nearby and watch or try and find a hole in the fence. But the police and Silverstone are very clear messaging this, please don't come. However, if you've got a political um, kind of message to display, 
then uh, the incentive is probably a little bit higher to, uh, to, to go and try and break those rules. Um, but yeah, coming into the track from the direction I come from, you've got about probably two miles of closed road. So if you, you get to the junction where I go towards Silverstone, and if you don't have the right pass in your car, you're not allowed through. Now, I suspect being Extinction Rebellion uh, protesters, they probably didn't drive here. Uh, I imagine they found other ways to get here, um, probably on foot. But uh, that, that, that isn't clear. It's not entirely clear how they managed to get around the security, uh, but they did. And so uh, rather impressively, in some ways, they managed to get to the grandstand, uh, which of course is empty because there's no uh, fans here. The grandstand at the end of the pit straight, uh, they unfurled a banner which was uh, kind of draped over one of the Pirelli logos, which is the title sponsor here. And um, you could see it as the cars uh, took off at the start of the race. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I think, uh, from what they said, they put out a statement, Extinction Rebellion put out a statement on their website, and they basically said, um, you know, we didn't want to go there to cause disruption to the race, we didn't want to cause anyone any harm, you know, it's very much a peaceful protest, but we just wanted to get our point across that, um, you know, the world is uh, facing some pretty serious issues to do with climate change, and of course, uh, they feel that action uh, should be taken, it isn't being taken. So. Uh, that was the message they were trying to get across, and uh, to be fair, they, they did it quite successfully. But um, the four of them have been arrested, and uh, yeah, we wait to see what the police investigation brings as well. Formula One is probably everything they're against. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it really is. Um, although uh, they also said in their statement that uh, they uh, supported the end racism uh, protest that the, the drivers made at the start. And although I couldn't see it in the photo, apparently they were wearing black armbands, which they said was in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. So um, it's quite interesting that they picked up on that as well within their own statement about it and the fact that they supported the driver's uh, statement to start the race. All right, so we'll leave it at that then. Thanks as always to Lawrence Edmondson and Nate Saunders for always being my guru. Thanks to you guys for listening. If it's anything that we can go off this past weekend, it's that next weekend at Silverstone is also set to be an exciting one. But even before we get there, make sure to look out for our podcast next week where we will be fully looking ahead to the second weekend at Silverstone, as well as talking about some breaking news that we're definitely expecting to come this week. Until then, it's bye for now.